Welcome to the June 13th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, and the sermon is entitled, The Washing of Humility, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. So we take another step now in the great gospel of John, written by the disciple who never called himself John. He always called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the good news for that is, that was John's name 2,000 years ago, and that is your name today. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the disciple Jesus loves, and so am I. It is a title that is given to every one of us. He loves each one of us equally so in love, and we're grateful to know that. That's the beginning of understanding the cross. Yes, it is true that Jesus died on Calvary on the cross for the entire world, but he died for a world of individuals. He died for every single person of every single color and nation on earth. He died for humanity, but... He died with your name and my name singly on his heart. He loves us that much. We are the disciple whom Jesus loves. If you are listening today, joining with us today, and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he loves you, and he wants you as son or daughter, and he wants you as disciple, and you'll be coming to that invitation at the end of this service today that you might receive him as your Lord, your Savior, and as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Today, we open the Bible's greatest picture and the Bible's greatest teaching on humility as we open John chapter 13. As we look at the Gospel of John, the old disciple teaches us more than any other Gospel writer that Jesus Christ lived on the Father's clock. He lived on the Father's timetable. He lived minute by minute to fulfill what God the Father had carved out for his life to be. He lived an hour-by-hour timetable set by God the Father. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John says that the day came on God's calendar when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come to be with us, that he would lay aside the power and the authority and the glory of heaven, and he would lay it aside that he might be born in a manger and walk the soil of earth, born of a virgin, that we might see him that we might understand the face of God, the nature and the personality and the love of God through Jesus Christ, the Son who walked the soil of the earth. Jesus has always lived. John tells us that when the universe was created, Jesus was there in the act of creation. There's never been a time that Jesus did not live as part of the Godhead, but there did come a time on God's calendar when he laid aside the glory and came to be with us as Jesus Christ walking the soil of the earth. And John sums up the first years of Jesus' life in just 28 verses of the first chapter of John. John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And at this point, Jesus begins his three-year ministry where he ministers to people and we see miracles and we hear the Word of God as John the Gospel writer and the other Gospelists write it down. From John chapter 1, verse 29 through John chapter 12, verse 11, Old John, the disciple, summarizes three years of Jesus' life. 
He summarizes his life with events such as the first miracle of water to wine, the woman at the well, the healing of the blind, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the sea, proclaiming himself as the light of the world and the door of the sheepfold, uh, and the uh, Savior of the world as the good shepherd. But I want you to understand this. With every single passing day of the life of Jesus Christ, some 33 years, with every single passing day, Jesus was one day closer to the cross. The cross was not an indiscriminate address or a date that was floating out there somewhere, but rather he would meet the cross on a particular day. And the day and the date and the time was set in God's calendar, and every day that Jesus lived brought him one day closer to that date and to that minute and to that location on the cross. And John makes that very plain. That's the heartbeat of John. Jesus is daily marching toward the cross. Now, as we get to John chapter 12, verse 12, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And now, the cross is not three years away, as in the beginning of his ministry, it is five days away. We have studied that passage. As we get to chapter 13 today, the cross is now one day away. So we're going from the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry of three years to the beginning and three years to go, and every day was passing to the final day. And here we are in the study of John as we open chapter 13. Now, as we open the chapter, Jesus had an intimate knowledge that he was on the Father's clock, and he knew exactly when the cross would come. I want to backtrack you in the gospel to hear a few passages. John chapter 2, verse 4, when he's talking to his mother Mary at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, he tells his mother in that moment, my hour is not yet come. In other words, it is not time for the culmination of the cross. It's not time yet, John chapter 2. And then we get up to John chapter 7, verse 30. In the October, before he will die on the cross in the spring. And the authorities are trying to silence Jesus, and they could not take him. They could not arrest him. And Jesus says the reason that is happening is because his hour had not yet come. It was not time for him to go to the cross yet. He knew the day had not arrived yet. John chapter 8, verse 20, after he had forgiven the adulterous woman, the Pharisees wanted to arrest him, wanted to silence him, ultimately wanted to kill him, but no one could take him prisoner that day. Why? Because Jesus and John say, the hour has not yet come. So Jesus had an intimate knowledge that he was on the road and on the track that would lead to the cross, but he knew at different stops of ministry that it was not yet time. His time had not yet come. But today, as we open chapter 13, look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, so many times he said, my hour has not yet come. Look at Scripture today. Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. 
The hour of the cross had arrived. He had waited 33 years and primarily three years of his ministry for this hour to come. He knew it well. It was Thursday night. The cross was less than 24 hours away on Friday. Jesus had met with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. And as you remember, the Passover meal was celebrated every year in Israel. And Jesus celebrated that Passover meal with his disciples. And from that meal, he pulled the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate on a regular basis in the church. Because Jesus told his disciples, and he tells us as well, never forget, always remember what you're going to see on the old rugged cross. Never forget the sacrifice of the Son of God to save your life. Never forget, celebrate this, remember what I have done for you. Jesus met with his disciples and celebrated the Passover meal, pulled the Lord's Supper from it, and then Jesus does the totally unexpected The unimaginable act toward his disciples. Let's read it. John chapter 13, look at verse 2. We will go through verse 17. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, And laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now? but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. May God add his blessing to the reading of this stirring portion of his holy word. The old disciple John begins reliving this life's event. Remember, John was here. John, as one of the disciples, was one who got his feet washed that evening of the Passover meal. 
And he had played in his mind that scene over and over again for some five decades. Fifty years later when he's writing this gospel, he remembers it so well. And he reminds us that we disciples gathered as men who were surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was one who was among us that was lost. We didn't know it at the moment. But his name was Judas Iscariot. A lost man in the midst of the disciples. Jesus knew it, but we didn't know it then. And notice what John says. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. In verse 2. Let me pull one little word out of that statement. A word that you and I don't think about very often. The word is put. We see that as an insignificant little word. The devil put into his heart. Well, it seems so trivial that we even consider a word like put in Scripture. However, I want you to understand that it is not an insignificant word. We make it so. Put away your clothes, put gas in your car, put your faith in Jesus. So we use the word over and over again in life. But in the Greek language, believe it or not, there are 29 Greek words for the word put. One of the reasons I believe that God inspired His Word to be originally written in Greek was because the language is so very expressive. Twenty-nine Greek words for our simple little word, put. So the plan that Satan put in Judas Iscariot's heart, the, the Greek word there is balo. And it means to throw a knife or a dart and sink it deep into the target a target that you will not miss, to put a knife or a dart deeply into its target. And that's a picture of how the devil delivered his evil plan of betrayal to Judas Iscariot. Remember, Judas Iscariot is not a saved man. Therefore, he has no shield of faith over his heart. He has no protection from Satan. And so when Satan delivered the dart of betrayal to Judas Iscariot, that dart sunk deeply into his heart, according to what the Greek language says. Judas Iscariot fell hook, line, and sinker to being the betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ because Satan implanted that plan so deeply into his heart. So 11 men of God... And one man of Satan are meeting here this evening, gathering with Jesus. And after supper, with all 12 of them there, Jesus surprises the group. He stands up, he rises, he takes off his outer robe, and he wraps himself with a towel. He pours water into a basin, and he proceeds to do the lowliest task of the lowliest servant of any household. He proceeds to wash their feet. Washing filthy feet, caked with all the dirt and the dust of the day, washing them clean, then wiping them with the towel with which he was girded. Most of the disciples are so shocked by this act that they are speechless. They don't know what to say. They are amazed that the Lord and the Master whom they have followed for three years has knelt down on His very knees and is washing their dirty, filthy feet of the dirt of the day. So there's no conversation that goes on as Jesus moves from disciple to disciple until He gets to Peter. 
And right in character, Peter is the one who's going to speak up, and he does. He is disturbed. He is confronted by the fact that the Holy Son of God, whom he has proclaimed as his Lord, is kneeling down before him to wash his dirty, sinful feet. And Peter cannot stand it any longer that he has to speak. He looks at the Lord and he says, No! You may not wash my dirty feet. The great Greek scholar whose name is Kenneth West, I began reading his words and his translations of the Greek language when I was in seminary, and I followed him all of these years. But Kenneth West translates Peter saying this, You shall by no means wash my feet. No, never will you wash my feet. Now, let me give you another Greek lesson here. And this is very, very important, so stick with me, hang with me, listen. You have to know this to understand this passage of Scripture. To wash a part of your body, like your hands or your feet or your face, to wash a part of your body in Greek is nipto. To take an entire bath and wash all of your body at one time is called lao. So nipto, you are washing just a part of your body. Lao is a complete bath. So what Peter is saying here is this. Lord, you cannot wash part of me. I need a whole bath. You need to start at my head and work down. Don't just cleanse my feet. Cleanse all of me. Give me the entire bath. And the way Jesus replies to Peter is very, very important to you and to me. Look at verse 10, John 13, 10. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, that last statement, he says, Peter, you are clean, you're saved, you're forgiven, but not every man in here is saved. He's pointing out Judas Iscariot, nobody knows it. But he's telling Peter, you are clean, you are forgiven, you are saved. There's a man in here that is not, but you are. But what he's saying to Peter is this. If you've had an entire bath of salvation, you will never need another full bath again. You will never come to the moment that you will need to be resaved. You will never need to come before Jesus and say, Lord, I was saved back some years ago, and now I'm lost, and I need to be resaved. That is not true. When you have had the true, full bath of forgiveness and salvation and grace and the promise of heaven, you will never need to be bathed again because you are secure in that salvation. Do I hear an amen? The security of the believer, you need one bath, one full bath of forgiveness but you'll never need another full bath. But it is important from time to time that you wash your feet. When you and I are saved and forgiven through Jesus Christ, it is a forgiven eternal transaction. You have had the secure bath of salvation, but we still struggle with sin. I certainly know it's true behind the pulpit, 
And it's true in front of the pulpit as well. We struggle as human beings with sin. Though we're saved, we still in this human nature struggle with sin. And so daily, we need to say, Lord Jesus, would you come to me and wash my feet where I've gone the wrong direction? Wash my hands where I've done something sinful. Wash my mind where I've had filthy thoughts to go through. Wash this part of me and make it clean again. Wash this part that needs forgiveness and restoration. Saved people don't need a whole bath of resaving ever again, but we need daily cleansing of the dirt of sin that collects on us day by day by day. That's what this passage is teaching us. That the Lord will wash us. He'll take care of dirty knees when we bow to the world. He will take care of restoring us and cleaning us and getting us back on the path of His leading. All of us need to have washed feet and hands and minds on a daily basis. Now these next verses humble me to my knees. Jesus said, I, the Lord and the Master, came to you and I will wash you in the bath of salvation. I will promise you forgiveness and the release of guilt and eternal life and a home in heaven once and forever. That's the promise. That's the bath. That's the lao, the full bath of salvation. I will come and give you that bath and I promise you I will come and wash your feet when you need me. I promise to restore you when you've walked away. I promise to forgive you when your mind has been led in places it shouldn't be. I'll wash you there, and I'll bring you back. Jesus said, that's my promise. He says, literally, that's my example. That's my model to you. The God of the universe will serve you, and the God of the universe will wash you. That's my promise to you. And now Jesus says, in response to me, he says, I've modeled that I'm going to serve you, and now you are to take my example and my model, and you are to go out to serve others. So I have served you, and I have come to you, and I will come to you in service anytime you ask me to, and I will cleanse you in the bath of righteousness and forgiveness, and then I'll return over and over again and wash your hands and your feet and your head wherever you need it. I'm modeling that model of service to you. Now you learn from that, and you go live for me and serve others. The service doesn't end with Jesus serving me but rather he commissions me now to go serve others, you as well. All of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are called to serve. He serves us, and now we serve somebody else. Does that make sense? It absolutely comes together in what Jesus is saying here. Show others love. Show others honor. Show others the way to Jesus. Show others how to be eternally cleansed. Have the grace and the humility to get up and get out and to get your hands into ministry in the world where you're needed, where I'm needed. This is not the end of our worship week. This is not the end on Sunday morning of our week 
as serving the Lord. But rather, this is the beginning of our week where now we're going to get up and get out into the world and serve Him there. He has served us. He has bathed us. He has cleansed us. He has gotten us back on the path. Now we go out to serve Him alone. That's His call. Every saved person should be willing to help somebody else because Jesus first helped us. He modeled service, and we're to live by his model. You know, James has a book in your Bible by that very title. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And Scripture tells us that the brothers of Jesus did not immediately come to him. Though they grew up in the same home with him, Scripture says that the brothers did not believe him early on. And yet James came to Jesus as his Lord and his Savior later on in life. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus in your house? (laughs) He was the oldest brother. Of course, he was the half-brother because the Holy Spirit was his father. Joseph was the father of the other children in the family. Mary was the mother of all. But can you imagine sleeping in the same room, maybe the same bed with the Son of God, eating at the same table, playing in the same place as Jesus grew up? James came to Jesus. And I believe that James, over the course of his entire life, saw the model and the attitude of Jesus. I don't think Jesus' attitude ever changed, even from his young years on through his life. He was as much of a servant as a teenager as he was at 30, 32 years old. James saw it all of his life. And here's what James wrote. This is a combination of two verses out of the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 22 In chapter 2, verse 20, here's what James writes. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? People who will not serve do not have true faith. That's what James says. That's what the entirety of the Bible says. That's what Jesus is saying in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Faith without any service is dead. I have been your example. I have been your model. I am serving you now. Now you go and serve others. James and Jesus tell us that if we truly love our Savior, we are going to be grateful and humbled To say, Lord, thank you for my salvation. Let me go tell this to somebody else. Thank you for saving me. Let me go reach another life. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to me. Let me go and minister to somebody else. Basically, what the Bible says is Jesus serves us now. We pay it forward in that we're going out to serve others. Our commitment to Christ does begin here in worship But then we go in the world and we look beyond ourselves to others who need ministry and we go as ministers of the gospel. I've used these words before. I think they were in a Wednesday night service, maybe in the pulpit too, but one of the greatest, most famous, enduring political statements ever recorded came from John Kennedy in his inaugural address as the 35th president of the United States. January 20th, 1961. I think you know these words. Here's what John Kennedy said. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do 
for your country. Now, a lot of times, writers will write the president's speech. Maybe John Kennedy wrote his own speech that day. I don't know, but I can tell you this. That statement came from Jesus. The principle of that statement came from Jesus. Believers, the principal question is not, what can I get out of church? The principal statement is, what can I give to the Lord Jesus Christ in thanksgiving for my salvation through the ministry of the church? What can I give? I'm not asking what I can get. I'm asking what I can give. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Look at John 13, the last two verses we studied today, 16 and 17. Verily, verily, of course, you know those are flag words for this is very important. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Jesus is teaching us that true life and true meaning and true fulfillment and true purpose And true joy is not really centered on what we get. Our truest purpose comes by what we give and how we reach out and how we share the love of Christ with others. So here's our question today, and here's the point of the sermon. What will you and I do to say, Lord, thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you cleansed me. Thank you that whenever my feet or my hands or my mind is dirty, you will come and get me back on the path and cleanse me there. Christians, how are we to serve him? I pray that we will rededicate our lives to humble service. You know, in the American culture, church is an interesting animal in these days, and I think it's gotten more so in the, after the pandemic and through the pandemic. A lot of people are church shoppers I'm going to go to this church, and I'm going to see what I can get out of this church. I'm going to see how they minister to me, how they take care of me. And if they don't take care of me, then I'll just move on to another church. So a lot of people just move through the churches and float through churches to see what they can get. And if you don't come up to my standard of what I need to get, then I'll just move on to the next service station of church. And that is not what the church is at all. But rather, the church is the body of Christ in which we make a commitment through the good and the bad and the hard and the easy and the joys and the challenges that we're going to stay together and work together and serve together and take Jesus into the world. It's not based on what we get. It's based on what we will give to Jesus. And there needs to be a major turnaround in the national church in that. What we can give to him. Maybe today, Christian, you and I just need to rededicate our life and say, Lord, help me give. Help me give. You gave me life. You gave me salvation. You gave me heaven. You will come to me day or night anytime I ask and wash my feet, my hands, my head. Thank you. You serve me. But in thanksgiving to what you do for me, you've modeled that I'm to serve others. I pray we, we rededicate our lives to that. Don't, for, don't forget it. Don't let it get to the background. We're to serve others.
And here is the conduit right here. Here's the conduit that we might serve him together. I pray we will. Maybe today, Christian, you've come in here with dirty feet or hands or mind. And sin is collected there. And you just need to say, Lord Jesus, wash me here. Get me back on the path. I'm saved. I've had the whole bath. But I need a cleansing here. Make me right. Wash me where I need washing. And pull me back onto the rails of ministry and service. If you need that, today you come. He will meet you here and wash you here. And today, if you are here or listening by internet, streaming, and you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you don't need a washing of your hands or feet or head. You need an entire bath. You need the bath of salvation. You need to allow him that one time to wash you and cleanse you and remove the guilt and the nature of sin from you as a child of God. You need that full bath of salvation and forgiveness. You need the total cleansing. You need the removal of all of that guilt. And you need the removal of the curse of hell upon you. And he is more than willing to meet you here. He's here and he's waiting. You are his creation and he loves you. He created you for who you are. He created you with purpose. He created you with talent. But you can't hold him at bay forever. There has to be one moment when you let the wall fall and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need the bath of salvation and I need to come to you and ask you as you cleanse me to forgive me and let me be your son or daughter through Jesus Christ, my Savior. If you've never done that, you can do that here. If you're in person, you can do it right here in this sanctuary. If you're streaming today, you can do it where you are, in a car, in a kitchen, on the couch, wherever you are, you can do it today. If you need him, he's ready to give you the bath and to promise you heaven forever. And he's waiting. He's not waiting for people to say, wait wait a minute, Lord, let me read the Bible through. Let me get better. No, he's waiting today. He's waiting now. And he's ready to receive you. Church home, whatever you need, you come. Let's pray. Father, our God, Thank you for these precious moments, Lord. Thank you that we gather in your house, Lord. This sermon has brought me to my knees of realizing, Father, that even though many of us bear the title of reverend or pastor or whatever it might be, all of us need the cleansing, the first cleansing of the full bath, but also the daily cleansing of hands and feet and mind. All of us need it. Thank you that you made a promise that you will come to us whenever we ask. And just as you did with the disciples, Lord, you would bow before us, our very maker, and cleanse our dirty feet. It's almost more than I can take in. But Father, I pray that you teach us as believers, it doesn't end there. You said, by my example and my model, now you go serve somebody else. Teach us, Lord. Train us. Send us. A lost world is outside of these doors. People who are waiting to hear about the love of Christ. Send us that we might serve others. Father, bless that one who needs the full bath today. The one who has never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They don't need clean hands, feet, or head. They need an entire bath of 
forgiveness and promise of eternal life. I pray here she will come. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these moments in Jesus' precious name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.